and welcome back to the Game Pit. This is episode 111, and we've made it through the UK Games Expo, Ronan. It was a whirl, Sean, a whirl of cardboard, a little touch of alcohol here and there, and many, many friendly people and friendly faces. What an amazing weekend. Is, is this the right time to mention the trifle shots? Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know what was in the bottom of that glass. But near <laughs> custard and cream, it should not have been. <laughs> Is this where we apologise to everyone we met on the Friday for the state we were in? Oh, God, everyone we met, everyone that came up to us on the Dice Tower booth, we just we just apologise. We were, uh, we were not uh, What have you played, lads? I don't know. <laughs> some, some very bad choices were made, Ronan. I stand by every single one of them, Sean. Oh, the weekend is there to be enjoyed. It was. It was. I think we, we did take advantage of that. But we recovered, Ronan. And as you said, we met some wonderful people. We saw some wonderful games. And we had a really good weekend. Fantastic. I think much busier than we've been before at UKGE. Possibly uh, our preview show, which apparently lots of people listen to it. Okay, who knew? And also the fact that the show itself is becoming bigger. To me, it's feeling more professional. It's feeling more centred in the industry of today. And I'm really impressed. I know it's not perfect. People have got various issues with it. But I think it's made such strides, even from last year, that I'm really, really hopeful of the direction that UKG is going in, Sean. A hundred percent, Ron. I think the biggest single element for me was the press event whereas it used to be just on the morning of the friday used to be like crammed into a tiny little space where there was no space really to talk to people and now it's on the thursday before the event actually opens in full they've taken up a massive chunk of hall two and loads of space loads of very professional people there to talk to and it really kind of gives you a feel for what's going to be on the show and and where to go to for more information I think in fairness, next time we might have to split up for that press event because there was so much to see and so much to do. And this is definitely the first time I felt like that. I was at the expo for two days. I never made it over to the Hilton once. I didn't get to see lots of the side things that were going on. I didn't get to play many games, to be honest with you. I mean, we pick them up here and there. What we're doing today, by the way, is we're going over 14 games from the expo that most of them we've played. Uh, one or two are not from the expo, but we played around that time. We thought they fit in with the general feel of these games and also there's a game that Sean had a good old chat with a famous designer about so we're going to cover 14 games by the way but although we did get some plays in obviously there was so much more to do you always kind of felt like there was more and more and more there was Ronan and as, as you said I just didn't feel like I got around to everything we did split up a little bit on the actual Saturday and I think we kind of covered more ground on that Saturday than we had possibly because of the trifle shots on the Friday for sure <laughs> It's true. It's just kind of easier sometimes at any expo or show like Essen. I'll say to everyone, although Sean and I go together and we love doing it, we jump in games together and all the rest of it, sometimes you need to just be by yourself and get a few things done that you want to get done rather than trying to stick in your group of three or four. It just takes so long to roll around because one person wants to look at that, one person wants to look at this, one person needs to go to the toilet, the next person needs a coffee, and you end up kind of rolling and not doing much. And every now and then, I'll say, for some of your time, just split up and go do what you need to do and meet up again. And, uh, and you can get, like Sean said, you can get more done. And also, I got a feel for the family side of it on Sunday. Roland had to shoot off on the Saturday evening, so I took my wife and my son James to the show on Sunday. And 
I think even the family side road, and again, has increased and improved. There was much more availability for family games, family areas. Publishers were geared towards the families a little bit better than before. So we had a really good time on the Sunday as well. Very chilled out on the Sunday. Just the slant of the whole thing to me felt almost either family or miniatures. Yeah, those were sort of like the two, yeah. yeah, two main things going on. It was good. I like the fact the competitions were opened up to the, the hall with the rest of it, so you didn't feel like they were poked off on their own in an area, and you never interacted with them. You could at least walk past and see them. There were loads of competitions going on, from the massive FFG Euros for X Wing and stuff like that. So <laughs> else is getting played? Down to smaller ones. There was the Agricola UK Championship, which one of our friends, Dan Hope, actually won. Oh, who used well to help Dan. run Yeah, he used to help me run London and Board. We used to do it together. Um he's he's been re- representing the UK in Germany. Another London and Border Charlotte made the final. And just things like that. There's loads of stuff going on. It is what you want it to be the Games Expo. Now Sean, before we get into the 14 games that we know quite a lot about, there was loads on show that we didn't get to play, but we did want to mention a few of them. So I'm going to throw some names at you and you give me back what your impressions were. I'm going to start with Reef. We got a very brief look at. It's the follow-up from Plan B Games to Azul. We didn't get much of a chance to, to really play it, but the excitement that it was there was kind of cool. I've got high hopes for it. Yeah, I did think you were going to steal the box at one stage, Ronan. Yeah, <laughs> we had a... I, I did make a try, and the guy from Asmodee Day knew us. He was laughing, and the other guy actually made a move towards me to be like, "Wait, mind it, Ian." <laughs> yeah, very hard to tell exactly what it's about, but very interested in Ronan. It's the follow-up to us all. High hopes, high hopes. You surely, Sean, I have to mention High Society for you. Ah, oh, High Society. Yeah, I'd never actually played the game before. Now Osprey have got hold of it and they've made it absolutely stunning. Looks great on the table. Saw a lot of people picking it up and walking around with it in their bags, Ronan. Yes, indeed. It was. I think it was a big hit and very reasonably priced. Mr. Cabbagehead. We did have a quick look at it and it's still a little bit scary, but I'm slightly leaning more towards charming for the artwork and everything. Ah, well, as you know, Ronan, I backed it. I can't wait for it to arrive. It looks excellent. I love the artwork. So, yeah, really excited for Mr. Cabbagehead. One that I got a quick look at, but again, I just missed out playing, but Escape the Dark Castle. They've got a second Kickstarter coming up in which you can get the original game, also lots of expansions. As it's been described, it's got Marmite black and white artwork. It's kind of a choose-your-own-venture thing with a very dark theme to it. I really like the look of it. If I had been there on the Sunday, I would certainly have attempted to get a sit-down and a play. I've got my eye on that Kickstarter, Sean. I'm thinking about it. I know you didn't get much of a look at that one, but one you were excited about, we did have a good chat through, was Everrain. Oh yeah, we went to see the Grimlord boys and they showed us around their previous project which was Village Attacks, which looks lovely, but Ever Rain, I think it captured our imagination, Ronan, that you're on the seas and you're going doing adventures, but you can bring in your own crew and tailor your own boat and I think that's what captured us, wasn't it? Yeah, the pirate theme, you can actually customise rooms on your ship you can customize your crew you can customize how your ship's fitted out you can go into port and let people do different things you need to keep the morale up but if you let them too much off the leash it might all go wrong and cause you issues it looks wide open and in the end he didn't want to mention the c word but there there is a, a god of the sea rising a malevolent one which 
after the whole thing you're going to be looking to challenge that's that's the big sort of ending if you like but the build up to there looked really exciting Sean I know you like the idea of managing your own pirate crew and taking it in your own direction yeah absolutely and um, those miniatures that they did have on display that massive one off the big bad Ronan how good was that yeah the whole thing the artwork just looked amazing I know that they've been through a couple of kickstarters already Endure the Stars which has come back for 1.5 they were telling us a lot of lessons learned from that and I actually picked up Endure the Stars second hand uh, looking to get the 1.5 upgrade packs I think there's a lot of promise in there Village Attacks I think was another step forward and to me I think given that they're going in the right direction Grimlord Everrain certainly got my eye on that and not just for the theme and the production quality Sean shall we crack into these 14 games with a, a bit more play to them that we can discuss let's do that Ronan as always we are very proud members of the Dice Tower Network go there and to the Dice Tower itself for the gaming goodness galore if you wish to download our episodes we're on Podbean Stitcher and iTunes and of course we do have our Pit Stop video some of the games on which we're going to feature now Ronan has already covered so pop along there if you want to see a bit more so we'll crack in Carter Impera Victoria from Remy Amy and Ludenor. Not a release for UK Games Expo, but it's something I had been looking at since it was released. And we got to have a play of it, Sean and I. It is a card-playing sieve-building game. Now, the cards come in one deck, and you can draw from them, and you can decide to put them down in one of the six areas of your tableau. Military, religion, economics, science, culture, or utopia. You're going to play through three ages, and in order to win, you need to get a set amount of cards of one of the types one of the six areas down onto the board player count dependent but these ages are kind of weighted so all the religion cards are front-ended whereas the utopia cards are all back-ended in the third age for example when you collect these cards when you get to certain numbers you're going to activate two levels of a permanent power but there's also always a discard power available to you if you discard a card of a certain type you can activate them now it's all in these powers is where the gameplay is for example when you get to a certain number of cards in your military to part of your tableau you can start to cycle through your hand discard cards and draw more looking to, to go down a certain route when you get a certain level of religion you can increase your hand size you, and you always drop it into your turn so your hand size is handy to have however if you discard a religion card you get to take a hand of cards of any opponent swap as many rounds as you want to and hand them back again so that you maintain the same number of cards each for economy that's let you cycle cards from your hand onto the table but if you discard them you can force an embargo on someone and prevent them from playing a card of a certain type maybe prevent them from winning or building up a power base for utopia cards if you were to discard those you can place them on another player and that will up the number of cards they require in their tableau of a certain type in order to win the game so you're constantly playing cards throwing them away cycling your hand and looking to build up power in one area without the other players taking you apart now sean we played this just the two of us a two-player game and i have to say i don't think it was at its best as a two-player game definitely didn't feel that way Ronan I felt while we were playing it we were kind of drawn down the avenues towards victory you didn't really have a choice you're kind of dependent on those cards coming out there were obvious ones like getting more cards into your hand and towards the end Ronan it felt like we were just prolonging you had the slight upper hand and you I felt like you were always going to win the game and I was just taking the odd card from you by weakening my deck and I felt we were just prolonging the obvious yeah I think if there was three or four players 
it's kind of everyone's job to then stop someone who's got an easy win going on. The problem I find with that is that then you're really trying to lurk in the pack and, and choose when to strike. And whoever gets picked on the most is going to be losing. And the whole thing really felt very punchy, very take that, very, it's all about blocking each other. It wasn't very constructive. It was primarily destructive. I wasn't a massive fan of the artwork either. I, my final thoughts really are that I didn't really enjoy that first game. I would like to see it with more players. Yeah, I wasn't fast at all, mate. It's a pass for me. It just didn't feel like I had enough agency and enough control over what was going on on the table. So I had high hopes for Carter Imperial Victoria, which is why I wanted to play it and why I included it. But it was a letdown on my front. Now, the next one, Sean, we previewed and we also had high hopes for this one before we got this play. Yeah, absolutely, Ronnie. It's Escape Tales, The Awakening, designed by Jakob Kuban, Matt Denbeck and Bartos. It is Kowski. And coming from board and dice, it is the story-driven escape room, effectively, where a father is trying to release his daughter from a coma, and he's been drawn into a an alternate reality. We managed to play the intro scenario, Ronan. I thought it was all very, very well done from what I've seen so far. It all went together well. The puzzles that we had to to attempt to do, <laughs> even though we weren't at our best. Yeah, the puzzles for me, I'm really happy with something they've done. If a card, and the whole thing is quite macabre in the theme, you're trying to wake up your child and there's a bit of a cult going on and you're having to do a ritual from a book. But in terms of when you get into it, the puzzles themselves have got, they have symbols that link together and they tell you this card is to do with that clue. And there's an app and the app tells you you need card 69, 112 and 264 to do this and once you've got those three cards you've got all the information you need and then you need to work out that puzzle that was such a good idea because what it did is prevented stabbing in the dark for me whereby you go oh well, this has got a symbol this has got a symbol we'll try them together doesn't work try these together doesn't work try these together doesn't work even though they might thematically make sense i found that in other escape room games in this one by telling you it's this card this card and this card rather than you swimming around and you're like, oh, I wonder if that goes with that, or should we do this? You go, right, we've got these three. Now I'm focusing on the puzzle solving, which is what I want to do in an escape room game. So I think that was a really nice use of system. Yeah, and there was more avenues to get to the next stage than, than I expected. I expected maybe one or two, but as it turned out, there were like three or four ways you could have gone to get to that next room or that meet that next person. And that was interesting. And the interaction in the next room would have been slightly different depending on what path you chose. That I like that, Ronan. The next room indeed itself might have been different as well, depending upon how you chose or discovered a way to progress from where you were to the next one along. And we talked about replayability before playing it. That branching way of not only you're not sure which order you're going to go through the rooms in, but how you get from room to room, and then what you do in each room being different. We're used to escape rooms being one and done. This is an escape room game with the story tied on, but there are two, three, four plays in each session of it, and they will be markedly different. And they also affect your gameplay, because you can... Basically, every time you run out of action tokens and exploration, you get a negative effect happen to your event card. You can earn extra action tokens to delay the event cards happening. So you can go through and you can get through the story, but not do that well. And you'll discover different ways through different endings. Whereas if you do things the correct way, in quote marks, you'll have more actions, less negative things happen to you, and you'll get a different ending at the end. And I like that whole thing that they've taken the escape room idea and without messing with it too much have turned it into a bit more of a, a thicker game yeah and just to 
talk about their plans for the future a little bit, Ronan. So they are definitely looking to add more in the Escape Tales line. So the Escape Tales is going to be the base system, and they're going to add stories, different stories completely, even like a kid's version, potentially. He was talking about maybe just bringing a really family-friendly version of it. So definitely got legs on this system, Ronan. Yeah, and for this one itself, Escape Tales The Awakening... Now I've had a hint of the first couple of rooms, I want to see where that story goes. So I'm very much looking forward to more play when it's ready to go. I found it really atmospheric. I found the puzzles to be really clever and I really, really have my appetite whetted for more of Escape Tales. Nice. Third game we're going to talk about. Sean didn't get a play of this, so I'm expecting to be bombarded with questions, but that's all right. I'll nimbly avoid them on my jetpack joyride. Designed by Mikko Godobioski and from Lucky Duck Games, it's not out yet, but they're planning for it to be out later this year. It's one to four players, 20 minutes long. It's based on the crazily successful app Jetpack Joyride. Each player gets a set of four boards with a route on them, and you're going to look to move across these boards in real time by placing down plastic polyomino pieces, which will show which route you've taken through. And why do you need a route? Because on those boards, there are going to be coins you're going to be looking to go through in order to score points. There's going to be scientists you're going to look to avoid hitting. There are lasers you can't go through and missiles that will blow you up that you also have to avoid. When any player has laid down these polyominoes and reached the end of their fourth board, that particular round stops and there's three rounds in the game. Each player is going to score one victory point per coin they've managed to go through, but also there are three goals for you to go after. And Now, there's different signs like you need to skim the ceiling, the top of your boards, for a certain number of moves, or you've got to high-five scientists, so you've got to buzz just above the scientists, or... Maybe you've got to get to the fourth area. So you've got everyone to try and play a bit quicker or collect all five coins on an area or skim each obstacle. There's different things and those goals really mix it up. Also, after the first round, four gear cards become available and the same after the second round. And depending upon how poorly you've done in the previous go, you get to reverse draft on VP and choose your gear cards. And they're going to allow you to do things like go through the missiles or lasers or have a magnet for coins. You only need to be adjacent to them, not actually go over them. Or get a head start and place two pieces before everyone else gets to go. There's all sorts of different ways of doing it. Your board changes from round to round. You First four, you flip them over, and then you pass those across to the player on your left. So you're playing a different, slightly different maze each time you go through this. It is a real-time game, Sean. It's about speed, but I found in my play of it that being the quickest was not always the best, which was a good sign for me. Sean, any thoughts on Jetpack Joyride? Well, that wasn't the only game that that happened in Rona, but we'll talk about that one later. Jetpack Joyride, Rona, so I couldn't quite grok it from the description I read and from the pictures that I saw. Does the board show your your map that you've got to follow and you've just got to get the pieces to fix, or do you overlay something once you've made your map? Is it kind of almost working blind? I, I couldn't quite grasp that. So you just have the four boards... Yeah, and it's much more. It's not a set maze that you're going through. Right. It's there are various routes, but you have to avoid the lasers, avoid the missiles, and hit the coins. Basically, that's what you're trying to do. So you're using the polyominoes. It's not always as obvious. They're only about five high these boards in terms of spaces. So it's not as obvious how you need to flip the polyominoes or spin them or move them around to, to move your way along. So it's as simple as that. You just you just need to have all your polyominoes spaces covering clear spaces. So there's just like a pile of these polyominoes in the middle of the table. Everyone's... In the middle, you take one at a time, yeah. you put it on your board and you move on trying to go as quick as you can, but with an, a mind on the goals as well. I'm not a big fan of the real-time running, but I'm really struggling to see the game in this. I think it's going to be one I'm going to have to sit down and actually play because the head's not, not seeing anything to appeal. Wow. 
well you're wrong because it was really good it was really fun I wasn't sure and I watched the game before I played it and I thought oh I wonder how much game is there but the people playing it were having loads of fun there was a couple of kids and a couple of adults and they all went oh yeah that was good but you tend to do that from demos and you know, don't want to be rude to people who are just showing you a game so I sat down with Vincent from Lucky Duck and a couple of kids and we played it and we all had fun and trust me, it was more to it than I thought. And the goals really mix it up. You're really then thinking, oh, I'm trying to get the top, but there's a laser in the way, so I move down. And then you're trying to, oh, those are the goals, but this is my gear. What other gear can I get? It's 20 minutes long, and I felt like I was constantly vying to go quickly or to score points. Because you can whiz through to the end and rush everyone, but it's very unlikely with the way they've placed the coins really cleverly on these maps. You kind of have to go around the obstacles to get to them. So if you do the straightest line, you're not going to score as many points as you could, depending upon how quickly you've rushed people. And there's the, it's 20 minutes, but for those 20 minutes, it's really good. And another good thing is that all the gear cards, they all felt overpowered, which meant it was brilliant. Because <laughs> suddenly you're like, hold on, hold on you, you can ignore lasers, no way. All right, mate, but you could have to go over the coins. You can be next to them, no way. And that was all good as well. It was all good fun. Okay, well, I'll give it a go. I have a heavy bag of scepticism with me, but I'll give it a go. Okay, let's make clear that's because you hate real-time games. Absolutely. For what it is, Absolutely. this is a really good game for a 20-minute <laughs> real-time filler based on that theme. A really good way of using that IP. I was very happy with Jetpack Joyride. Sean. Well, Ronan, you made us go past the stand and made us play. Why didn't Blake us play a game? You sat down to play a game and invited me over that I would never have played in a million years, and it's Dice Fishing Roll and Catch, designed by Satoru Nakamura. It was on the Taiwan board game design stand, but it's from March Hare Games, playing two to five players. Basically, you've got a deck of cards with fish showing a number and other requirements. So some of them say you must have a five. Some of them say that you have to have the same denomination. You have five D6s. You have one D10 and one D20. And you're going to choose what dice. It's almost like a bid. What you're going to roll to try and get that fish in the middle. The D10 and the D20 can be used for the number or you can modify the numbers of the d6s or you can re-roll the d6s the person with the fewest dice in their hand is going to roll first and if they achieve the requirements they're going to get the card and the points on the card if there are two or more rolling at the same time the closest to that achievement number is going to get the card very simple game ronan but i found it quite effective it has no right to be as fun as it is <laughs> it really doesn't Describing it there, when Smooch described it to us, we were like, okay. And I kind of felt like we were both looking at each other going, that doesn't sound like much. And it happened that someone had just finished demoing it. And there's only one half of one table you could play it once. And I was like, let's just give it a go. Because I wasn't really getting it. Kind of like you said, the Jetpack Joy Ride. Let's give it a go and find out. Because I was sceptical. And I bought it. You bought it. Natalie loved it. We told Perry about it. He went and bought it. Every person we told, I think because we got quite enthusiastic about it, it is a perfect length for an expo. So it was kind of almost showing it off at its best. But every person we told about, whether our enthusiasm or what came over, they're all like, oh, where is it? That does sound good. And it was good. It really was. It was just, it was almost that perfect game in a 15 minute to 20 minute time frame. Now, I did hear people talking about people mathing it up and games going for 40, 50 minutes. Who? What? Who? 
Oh, I talked to Anna, Anna Wassenberg from the Dice Tower Network, and she really likes it as well. She picked it up the same day we did, and she introduced it to some of the Dice Tower guys, and they really started mathing it up, and they didn't enjoy it at all, and they were complaining that it was too long for what it was, and I just looked at her in disbelief. I was like, did you slap Go, them, surely? We're, we're going to need the names of those people, aren't we? That's <laughs> so, crazy. Yeah, I just... It, it baffled me, but she was a big, big fan of it. She was well chuffed with it. So, and I think we are too, Ronan. Oh, four plays of it since the weekend. I've had O's and laughs and you jammy this and you lucky that. Uh, and it's just gone over so well and because it is exactly the right length. I can imagine if you were playing it for 45 minutes, it would become boring. If people were thinking it too much and taking too long to bid, you know, if that was happening, Sean, I'd be like, here's the fish card. You've got 10 seconds to do your bid. Otherwise, you're not in this round. Simple as that. Game fixed. Don't care. No mercy. Let's not ruin the game for everyone, shall we, by trying to win too much of this little filler. It has just a ticket of thought. There's risk taking. You're reading your other players. If you're slightly behind in those points and those hooks, do you start going, ah, I could do it with two dice. How risky is that? So you get in first for your chance to do it. Or do you just sit back and go, no, these are a bunch of Egypts. They're all going to bid too low. I'll just bid massively high, knowing that I'll get it when they all fail. And there's just enough of that sort of reading each other. So I'm very enthusiastic about it. Be aware, it is just a filler game. It's no more than that, but a very good one. Yeah, absolutely. I kind of like the art very very beige normally I don't like that kind of thing you like the art yeah I kind of like just for some reason it just fit in nicely with with the whole theming of it the kind of fishing background and even just looking up the what the each fish was and the little expansion can you, that came can you hear my head shaking everyone hears your head shaking it's massive <sighs> but, <laughs> but Ronan it had a bear in the expansion come on it did have a bear I was very happy with that the bear's a bit mean though in fairness in the expansion a little bit you get some extra cards in the box you take fish away from other players mm, that I don't usually mind it in games but in this one it felt counterintuitive to the whole feeling of the game the feeling of the game is you're risking, you hit or you miss, never mind, move on to the next one. When you can start picking on each other and taking cards off, it added a hint of meanness that I don't think this required. It was funny when it happened to you, though. Mm. <laughs> okay, I think we, we've summed it up. We really like dice fishing, roll and catch. Nice. Next one, Sean, is Mystic Scrolls, which actually was released from last year, designed by Evangelos Foskolos and Stellas Cortis and from Draw Lab Entertainment. It's a two to four player, again, 25 minute game, as tends to be at these expos, you get to cover the quicker games. Everyone is a wizard, and each of the different wizards specialise in a certain element. And you're all vying for control of powerful scrolls. One at a time, they get laid out on the table. We're going to play it around to see who can claim it. It is real-time dice rolling, another real-time game for Sean. You roll your own set of five dice. You have a set of spells in front of you. You can re-roll at will, but when you've matched all the symbols on a spell, you can take those dice out of your own personal pool, put them on the spell, and it will activate at the end of the round. You then get to draw replacement dice from a shared pool of dice in the middle, it's player number dependent, and then roll five dice again until you've matched a spell again, put them on, and so on and so forth. How is a round going to end? Either when that pool of dice runs out in the middle of the table, or I did say there's one special powerful scroll available each round. If you can fill that up completely, and it usually requires four or five dice, you can claim it and you can shout stop before that pool runs out, and everyone stops. 
Then we're going to look and see which spells have been activated. And they're either going to heal yourself or your health, attack the player to your right, or some of them have got a dice roll, which you have to do because they're slightly wilder, they're chaotic magic, magic or what have you, and they've got various effects, but it'll all be attacking or healing. At the end of the day, it's going to be last wizard standing is going to be the winner of Mystic Scrolls and gets to claim all the scrolls and wanders off as an arch mage. Sean, another real-time game. I realise I'm on shaky ground here. Why do you keep doing it? What what do you want from me? What are you what are you expecting? It's a real time game that's a dice roller as well. So real time dice rolling are the worst of the real time games in my opinion. I had no fun. I was sitting there with a board full of lightning symbols. Could I roll a lightning symbol? No, I couldn't. So three turns in a row, I did nothing. Because I couldn't roll a lightning symbol. Don't hate the game, hate the player. <laughs> <laughs> you are really, really bad at this game. <laughs> the I, fact no, is, was I, was I, or could I not roll a dice at the desire to the desired face? You was literally were enough? re-rolling for like three minutes, five dice. You never got one lightning I in could, six yeah, rounds. Yeah, you have to get the exact thing before you can place your dice, right? Yeah, but you can bank them. Yeah, you, you can, can bank put, You them. choose how many to re-roll. My, so you yeah, just go my, right that lightning. I'll leave there. Right, I'll roll another one. I'll leave that to one side. Yeah, and I was going. I was going for a specific card. Had three lightning on it. Well, right. and going I, for a specific card will be your biggest mistake. Because what I've written down here is, I like the fact that there was more than one card to aim for. Because you were, you've got your own spells in front of you, and they're slightly different. Yeah, all right. If you were the lightning mage, you needed some lightning. But then, if you're not rolling that, you need to look to the one in the middle and be like, "All oh, right, I've got two water. That needs two water. I can start aiming that way as well." So I'll bank those two water, roll the other three. Oh, I've rolled two lightning. Okay, I'll switch back to my own spell and re-roll these two water now. Yeah, I but you're not going to have time. If, if somebody else rolls, it's really not that quick. Quickly, man. I know. But if somebody else really rolls well, very quickly, you're not going to have time to change your mind and go for something else because it'll be done. Especially the more the players in there, the more chances of that happening, the more chances of you just being left sitting doing nothing. If someone grabs the central scroll all the time, yeah, fair enough. But if they're just grabbing the central scroll all the time, they're not doing anything to the player on their right or to themselves. So you can just, the player on their left should be slowly nibbling at them. And then you realise, I can't grab the central, I need to activate some stuff here, I need to heal myself, I need to attack it. Because you're just grabbing it. So... Hmm... <laughs> uh, listen for what for what it is i mean I, I hate like escape curse of the temple and and all those types of games so yeah is it any worse or better than them probably not it's just not for me wow i think there was a good luck and skill balance in here it's only 25 minutes long i didn't find it frustrating i know i realize it's not for everyone these are my my games we'll just use that phrase again but it suited me well i like the theming i like the fact you're balancing what you're doing i like the fact that if you were getting hit you needed to start to activate your own healing powers you couldn't just concentrate on hitting the person on your right in order to keep yourself in there and it worked perfectly well for me i think it was a good game and that's mystic scrolls next game for me is pyramid of the penguin it's from marcel andre casasola merkel and coming from Brain Games, this is a reworking of a 2008 game called Curse of the Mummy. But this one is set, if you like, in the ice cool world with the penguins. The game theming is there's a bunch of adventurers and they're trying to break into the penguin's lair to steal some treasures and get out before the penguin manages to catch them. 
The board itself is set up very much like battleships with that divider in between two sets of players. On one side you've got the player who's been the pen queen, the other side is player or players that are going to be the adventurers trying to get that treasure. And the board is magnetic and your pieces are magnets that sit onto the board and the board depicts a maze in which the treasures are dotted around. So on the, tre on the treasure hunters go, they're gonna roll five dice and there are going to be numbers or arrows appearing. If they get an arrow, they can move all the way in one direction until they hit an object. If they get a number, they can choose to take whatever number they choose and move that amount of spaces along the maze. Now, the penguin player is going to then go and they've got one die, but when the adventurers are rolling, they can roll a penguin symbol. Now, I'm sounding like Benedict Cumberbatch. I'm, it sounds like I'm trying to say penguin, but getting it wrong. Have you ever heard him say penguin? Ping, ping, penguin. 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 <laughs> <laughs> it's not Benedict Cumberbatch, okay? I just want to let everyone know that. I think okay. the resemblance is well, not there. <laughs> uncanny. Just so, not there. <laughs> so if the adventurers roll the penguin symbol, that dice then gets set aside and added to the penguin's roll when she rolls her dice. As you move along, you've got to take more and more risks and you're increasing the penguin's move. And if you ever want to take those dice back, the penguin gets to interrupt and then make a movement in between your go before you go yourself. So it's almost like a double go for the penguin. If she should catch you, she have to hand her a life token. You've got to get five treasures before she catches you a certain amount of times. And that's the game, Ronan. So, Sean, you got to play this one. I did not. You kept it for Jamesy, all fair and goodness. Yep. It, very much, there's a novelty to the components with that two-sided thing where you're moving around and, and they're coming to get you. How did the novelty work? Was it gameplay or was it just a novelty? I think there is gameplay there. I think that... It seems a little bit twisted in terms of, on the favour of the actual penguin because you do tend to roll those mummy symbols or those penguin symbols and they do get some big, big goes. And when you take a treasure as one of the adventurer, the penguin knows exactly where you are. So if one of those double goes should happen around that time, there's a good chance that she's going to catch you. The theatre, however, seeing that that mummy moving around the board after your characters is really really good my boy absolutely loves it he loves being the pen queen and just catching us and being quite weirdly savantish in terms of he'll go up one way and just decide actually no i want to go back down there and you'll be hidden behind him like dink oh it's got that escape the tower sort of feel to it then yeah. whereby the kids enjoy being that evil and chasing you down. Yeah. It, it, it's like the thrill of playing chase or tag or whatever you want to call it. That running, kids love the thing of being chased and being, you know, oh, I'm going to get you on and being on either side of it. So it, that definitely, I think, appeals to a younger audience. The, the tension in there, though, you say there's tension. Is it at the right level? Is it, does it feel dangerous that you have to take a risk or, or does it feel inevitable you're going to get caught? I think you could really game this one up and you could work as a team and kind of all hover around your Should we targets. ask Anna about this? Uh, yes, we, uh, maybe the Dice Tower crew should have a game of this just to see how long it takes. <laughs> we'll just keep on dissing them for the rest of the episode. Yeah, right? why not? Why not? Um, I'm their favourite man anyway, so it's all fine. You are. You are their new favourite after taking Tom and Z on a, a little trip onto the underground disused stations. Yeah, I'm, I am quite marvellous. Should we move on? Sick event. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, so you could really game this one up and all hover around your targets and do lots of doubling back, which is absolutely legal. And I think, yeah, adults could get something out of this, but I think you hit the nail on the head there, Ronan, with that, that plain chase in the playground feel to it and um, getting and snagging your target, especially when it gives a, James a chance to, to snag mummy and daddy and to, to get one up on us. So child approved. Child approved. That was Pyramid of the Pink Queen. Pinguin. Pinguin. Thanks, Sherlock. <laughs> okay, the last game for this half is Raids. We previewed this one. It's from Matthew Dunstan and Brett Gilbert and Yellow Publishers. It's a Viking-themed fixed-route game in which the hindmost is going to go first. When the hindmost player takes their turn, if they're next to a tile, they take that turn and add it to their tableau. Then they clear all the tiles between them and the next player. Then they have a decision to make. They're going to move on. And there are two types of spaces, those you stop in and those you don't. But you're going to choose one of the spaces to stop in. If there is another player there, you start a bidding war with them by playing in one Viking. They then have to pay two of their Vikings out in order to stay there. Then you have to play three to kick them out and so on and so forth till someone quits and moves on. When you do start your turn next to a tile, however, the sort of things you're going to collect are ruins, which is a set collection scoring. You can collect goods, which go on your ship, which takes up the space for Vikings, but you can take those to a port for sell them, which is the only way you're going to be able to cash them in for points for the end of the game. There are sales you can collect, which will give you a Viking income each round, which also you can collect Mjolnirs, Mjolnir symbols, and they multiply against the number of Vikings you have at the end of the game to score you points. You can collect weapons to put on your ship, and they'll help you to attack monsters. Now, I said these, there are places you stop, and the you go past the monsters you go past if you don't fight them you must sacrifice one viking if you do want to fight them you have to fight them according to the monster's strength and they get stronger over the course of the four seasons of the game but their strength is reduced by the number of weapons you have other places you go past the places you visit where you can take vikings there are villages where everyone gets a viking and there are pillaging areas where the first person past there is going to score three points and the second is going to score one off the four seasons, there's always scoring at the end. The first season is always a race. First back is going to score six points, then three, then one. Over the next seasons, next three, there's going to be a varied bonus from tiles from the stack. And they're going to give you victory points, glory points, they're called, for having most sales, most Vikings, most Mjolnirs, most monsters defeated, and there's various other ones. Sean, raids, we previewed it. I've done a video of it. And you haven't got to play it. So have you got any questions? I do have a couple of questions, Ronan. Looks on the surface very light. How long does it take to play, and is it is it actually light? It is under an hour to play, all four seasons, so it's 10 to 15 minutes just to do a route round. Mm. Now, it is light, medium, but it definitely contains some choices. It definitely contains various routes to victory. And you do, because turns are quick, and what every other player does affects what is available for you to do you always feel like you're involved in the game the other one i had slight concerns that it might be a little bit mean a bit nasty with people with loads of warriors on their boats just bowling around and sort of pushing people around a little bit does that work out or do the monsters thin them out and does it all kind of come back in the end i'm going to tell you a shocking story go i was the most aggressive player in our game (laughs) and i lost (laughs) There is definitely a cost to doing that. It definitely wears you down. You'll worry about going past uh, the monsters. Again, you can't claim the monster points. Also, there's quite a good thing on the movement. There are those spaces that you skip past, and the first person past them will will hoover up stuff. 
and there's a nice balance there on whether to go or not. So quite often you're incentivized to just leave people alone and whisk around and be the first past the village to get two villagers and then be the first one past the pillage in place to get the three points and seeing where you stop further on. And sometimes even it's worth whizzing right the way around the board and avoiding goes because you're getting specifically what you want. Good goes are better than many goes. And the, the hoovering up of the uh, the tiles, you can't just walk around like I don't know in other games like this where you just pick up everything left behind. You can't do that. That's a real clever mechanism they've put in. Okay, so for me, I really want to play this one, Ronan. I was really on the fence when we did our preview of it, and I should have had more faith in Matthew Dunstan, who I, I generally like his games. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to playing this one, Ronan. This is a very much a yes to finish this first half for me, Sean. Only one play so far, but we, three player, we greatly enjoyed it. It's been requested again already, and I can see raids getting a few plays yet. So thank you, everyone, for joining us for this first half. Very short break, and we'll be back with seven more impressions of games from UK Games Expo 2018 very shortly. Okay, we're going to start this part of the show with the latest Hubba game that they were pimping out at the show. It's Castle Climbing Frog from Gunter Bars and Marcus Nikish and as I said from Hubba playing two to four players. It is a game in which you are trying to guess where certain characters are on a 3D board that represents a castle, the side of a castle, and the characters are all in the windows turned face in, so it looks like the shutters are closed. And you've got a bunch of cards that match them. You turn over a card and you find a character and then you try to find that character. And you basically, process of elimination, you're eventually going to find that character. And then you've got a little pulley system which represents, which is the frog. And you balance a marble on top of the frog and you use the pulley system to bring that marvel up to that window and below that window is a little hole in the side of the castle and you're going to pop it in there and that's where you score your points and there's little bonus tiles that you can take out when you score those points as well that's the game ronan well i haven't played it sean and i was waiting for your description to come up with some insightful searing questions on the state of modern gaming <laughs> i will say this insert question here by the way <laughs> how about are starting for me to lose their luster. They're not as innovative as they once were. I think other companies are starting to to move into their area and and make a better fist of games. You you you're in a bad mood today. I'm, I you know what? You it just are in a bad it's something mood that's been you. lingering for a while. The last few Haber games that I've got, I've not hit those. Let highs. me put this to you. Let me put this to you. All right, here we go. Haber have always been a company that make some really good games and a lot of okay games. What happened was when they were harder to get in the UK, you'd only really hear about the really good ones. True. And then you'd go out of yeah. your way to get them and you'd be like, oh my God, all Habit games are amazing. They've never been amazing. Whenever I went to Essen when the kids were younger and I went through them, I went through 80% dross to find ones that I thought were good. And some of them were good and some of them weren't. That's just the way it is. They just produce a lot of games. They're a big yeah. company in Germany. Every German kid almost plays Haber games. And same as over here with any mass market company, a lot of the stuff is not wildly innovative and for gamers' kids, and some of it is great. And I think it's just becoming more obvious because we can get hold of more of the games. Yeah, I think they're going down a path where they're 
adding that sort of table presence to their games. They're building these big structures that you have to almost build the board up and on the on the table it looks amazing with things like uh, Draken Turn where the dragon's pulling the building down and, and things like that. But necessarily the gameplay itself isn't always there. So I, I think you're right. For every Rhino Hero or Super Rhino, as Rowan still won't admit to It's the proper else, name. For every one of those, there's yeah, there's maybe fifteen or twenty castle climbing frogs. Even my son, <laughs> who's normally the one I say, you know what, he's still enjoying it. Even he was sort of looking around him saying, Can we play something else, Daddy? What is the age range on it though? What's the what's the starting age? The starting age is is five because of the pulley system. Yeah. So it should have been in his sort of wheelhouse the the pulley system was a bit fiddly, didn't work, it getting stuck. But I'll say that as as a gamer's kid and having played games with him, he he's beyond the standard habit aging. Yes, and their yeah, yeah. age things are actually quite I find them quite age sensitive. If it says four plus, that'll work with four and five year olds. Six and seven year olds will be bored by it. And it's, yeah. it's a very uh, the one company that I really pay attention to that aging system. And with James, because he's nearly six, he's good at games. You know, I'd definitely be looking for seven plus, eight plus for, for Hubber games for him. Yeah, and I also another thing I just noticed about Hubber, there's a little bit of a gap. I think once you get to sort of seven and eight, they've got the the sort of the adult games, the Karubas, the Quazus, uh, the Meduruses, but there's nothing in between. I think there's a little bit of a gap there if you want to continue playing Haber games. I think you're going to struggle from that sort of 7 to 8 range up to sort of, I don't know, 11 to 12. There's no, there's nothing really in, in between. Not a massive range, but... This is I, this is a real hatchet job shot. <laughs> <laughs> really? Okay. What I don't know. I, don't do think it, I, think they, I think Haber are brilliant for younger kids. And when you've got like the three-year-old, four-year-old, young five-year-old getting into games, absolutely, I would go to them. I will still bring my second son through that Haber range because there are some absolutely wonderful products there. I think, as you said, quite rightly said, James is now a gamer's child. He likes games and he's just kind of outgrown the Haber games that are available to him, I think. I just... I feel like I need to go find some Haber representatives and hug them after that. <laughs> it wasn't that wow. bad. You're this was a bad game. This was man. this was a shocker. But there, there is good Haber games out. There. Angry man. It's okay. It's all right. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna move on to another angry man. This game is Solomon Kane, designed by Jake Thornton and coming from Mythic Games. So you know it's gonna go on Kickstarter, and you know it's gonna be a big Kickstarter. This is a one to four player cooperative game taking around 90 minutes per scenario. Now, I did say it was cooperative. No matter how many players you've got, you're going to be playing as the four virtues, courage, prudence, temperance, and justice. And Solomon Kane is a witch hunter. The stories were written by Robert E. Howard, of, who wrote the Conan stories, and many others, of course. And you, between you, as these virtues are going to be guiding Solomon Kane through a mystery, through an adventure, discovering what the disturbance is that he has been disturbed by, and attempting to resolve it in some fashion. Mechanically, what that means is each player gets three dice and they roll those dice and there's a slight bit of mitigation and then they're going to assign them to either basic actions for their virtue 
or to one of two or more cards they're going to have selected from a deck in order to activate them. When a card gets activated, it gets thrown away and you draw another one. You get to look through your deck and choose which one you want. Or they can put themselves as an active presence on the board or move themselves around in order to block spirits that are coming after Solomon Cain. And if the spirits ever get to Solomon, then they cause bad events to happen to make everything harder for you. The sort of things you can do with your actions are to move Solomon, to investigate areas on the board where you know there's some sort of disturbance, to talk to spirits or things in the game or to fight them. And generally you're trying to get through uncover whatever is at the center of the disturbance and then either talk to it or fight it to work out what's going on now i'm a little bit vague on there because i've only had the one run through of a scenario and the guy was lovely but i didn't get much of an overview of what was going on with the whole with the whole situation it was it was much more about the individual mechanisms of how the game works which is great in terms of bigger picture than that i can't really give it to you at this stage now sean it's all about Solomon Cain, whether he lives or dies, is how uh, successful you are in the game. You know it's going to have amazing minis. You know it's going to have amazing components when it comes to Kickstarter. This game is very, very co-op. It is all discussion. It is, in effect, one shared turn between the four players, even to the point where you choose turn order each time and when you roll dice if you can't use any of your dice you can choose to hand them over to someone later on in turn to help to boost up their actions and it is all about each player playing their role being a cog within the larger mechanism that is quite a stretch for mythic games i will say given that obviously mythic battles we know it's monolith now but they were part of that not the game people will be expecting i think no it took me quite a while to just get my head around the concept even Ronan just there you've got like the courage and etc and you're kind of all pushing this one character in different directions and it's almost like a pulley system we kind of making sure he's going in the right direction for the group and doing the right things for the group and as you said you've got to be really talking about every single facet of every single move so yeah very different direction it's one I just can't get my head round completely until I actually have a game of it. But very brave for them to move in this direction. Yeah, I think so too. I think that one of the things that's going to come out of this is, especially for player, you get very frustrating individual turns. Because the dice that you roll, the symbols, you have to activate powers. It's a bit like Mystic Scrolls that we talked about. And instead of having re-rolls, you just have your one roll and a possible flip and a mitigation. And then you either can activate the powers in front of you or you cannot. If you're playing with four player, you can have players have turns that basically they do nothing or the powers they've got left in their deck, they, they don't match what Solomon Kane needs to do at this second. So it might be a case of, let's say you went before me and you were planning on moving Solomon Kane, and then I chose expiration powers so that I could explore the token you're moving to. And if your turn didn't go well, and you haven't moved them, and then I look at it, and I've got no move powers, because only a couple of them have got a basic move power. I've only got explore laid out, and I'll roll my dice, and I'm saying, well, he's not in a space to explore. I can't explore. All I can do is hand dice on to people later on in the turn, and hope they can make something out of it. So your turn can be a duff and that can lead to the next person's turn being a duff and to me it seemed very much more of a one or two player puzzle 
that you're working out together so that the turns can go quickly and you're getting engaged more often because let's say a player takes a fight on their turn and then they're starting to have a fight with what they're doing. They have got a lot more to do than maybe I have where I go, okay, I can move this dude too or I can't move him to next player. It's a curious system. I found it very interesting. I like the puzzle of it. The theming was very creepy. A bit odd though in terms of the fact that you're one of these virtues. And I do think that a lot of people are going to struggle to get their head around this without getting a play. Again, I would say brave with the theming. I think they've got big plans for that theme. They talked about not just sticking to the actual written down books of the Solomon Kane adventures. They're talking about maybe taking him to America for maybe the Salem witch trials. And so lots of interesting decisions there that they might be going in. I think they've got a little bit of work maybe just to fine tune some of those mechanisms, as you said, try and make sure that the whole group is involved to the same level and one's not left out or feeling frustrated. I think at the moment you're absolutely right. It feels like a two-player game, but hopefully... If we don't get them ourselves, we'll be part of someone who does get one of the the kits that they are sending out for people to play test and get the word out. So hopefully we'll be playing a bit of Solomon Kane in the near future, Ronan. Yeah, I'd be looking forward to it to a one or two player co-op with someone who's really invested in that co-op thing. It's a sort of puzzle that I like to solve. So I'm looking forward very much to exploring the system or seeing what's in there, because I only played a very basic scenario. I think it's only right to give people a heads up, though, if you are interested in it. Have a look at the gameplay. And I think it's very much going to be in some people's wheelhouses. It may not have the mass appeal of certain other big mini games but for, to, for me that's no negative I, I like the fact that they've branched off in a brave direction so that was solomon kane sean you are going to talk about an upcoming minis based game release that is also generating lots of buzz although solomon kane as of today is number one on the hotness list on board game geek so there you go I think it, the subject matter for solomon kane is great but yes i'll be talking about wildlands now, this is designed by Martin Wallace, and unfortunately, Ronan had to shoot off on the Saturday, and Osprey Games, who it's coming from, uh, were only able to get Martin to talk to us on the Sunday, so I had to do it on my own. Uh, well, poor old me got to talk to one of my favourite designers on my own. Oh, it's a terrible life, Ronan. Are, are you okay? I'm okay. I survived. I survived. You're a good lad. You're so, very brave. What I'm going to do is just just really go through what myself and Martin discussed. Um, Sometimes we branched off a little bit, but project started over two years ago around about the time that tree frog started folding so a lot of the projects now he said are, are games that he was sort of bringing into put forward as tree frog games but then obviously the company folded and he still had these designs and other companies were able to pick them up and obviously osprey games has picked up wildlands now there are other games at the moment that he's attached to. He had the arrival at Essen last year. Lincoln has just been kickstarted, and I did say to him, "Was this sort of a case that you just had these designs knocking around?" He said, "Not really. It's just it was the fact that sometimes these things come like buses and they come in batches." So one of the things Martin said was that he wanted people thinking right from the start, in that even the setup had a massive implication on the game and the way he's done that is he's put numbered cards in and you're going to each get a certain amount of these numbered cards and they're going to state where you put your 
players, where you put your player pieces, and where you put objectives for other people. So right away you're thinking about where do I want the objectives for the other people, or maybe bring them through some of my forces, set up traps, but then you've got to hand over half of those cards to them. So you've got to be very mindful about what you're handing over because you don't want them to then do the same to you and put yourself in bad position. So right even just from the setup, you're thinking about how you're going to be playing the game. You've got five creatures or beings in your party, in your skirmish party. Now every card can be used in multiple ways. They can be used just as a card themselves, or they can be used for a special bonus for a particular character. And there's bonuses, there's multiple bonuses for each of the characters on these cards. So when you use a card, you're getting rid of other actions and you're not doing those actions. And the card hand management is another thing that he said he's, was integral to his design for this, is that, yeah, you might want to just spank all your cards in one go, but you're only drawing up three a turn and your next turn is going to be super light and maybe the turn after that is going to be super light so you've got to almost get engines going where you're getting cards into your hand and you've got to be sparing of what you use the factions all play differently he's got one that has a huge tank and it has lots of smaller characters that just basically act as cannon fodder and irritate there's another faction that all work together if they're in the same area they all kind of work off each other what martin said is he had so much fun designing the different factions because they're going to be more and more and more coming in general he said that this was the most fun he's had designing the game in a long time and primarily because of those factions and just thinking up weird and wonderful ways that they could work together and and how they integrate with the other factions as i said terrain is going to play a big part you can hide behind things there's going to be scenarios and martin actually said that out of all the designs he's done in recent years he's the most proud of this one now, whether he's just because the Osprey guy was leaning over his shoulder at the time, I don't know. But he, he just he genuinely seemed into this game, Ronan. And having you sat down with him with a copy in front of you and chatted with him, how excited are you about the game, Sean? More and more. It kind of brought that Martin Wallace feel where it's not just a skirmish game. There is a lot of cleverness about it. He talked about one scenario. There's little pockets of cover... And all the objectives are out in this sort of barren wasteland and there's no cover there. So it's almost like you've got to make a dart to get the objective, bring it back to your cover. But obviously while you're doing that, everyone else is going to be trying to pelt you and it's choosing your moment to do that. And just very clever things like that that made me think, you know what? I could see where you go, the different uses of the cards, the card management, thinking, you know what? Yeah, that's a great use for this card. But there's three other great uses for this card. Oh my God, what do I choose? It's got that Martin Wallace twist to it. Well, Sean, both your and Martin's enthusiasm for Wildlands are coming through there. It's definitely something I'm going to keep my eye out for. I think Osprey, we've got a lot of faith in them as a publisher. So you're just building my excitement for it. Yeah, so the last two things I I did talk to Martin about were the playtesting. And in this particular game, he went out to a cottage in the country. I didn't ask if it was New Zealand or the UK. I assumed it was New Zealand. And he brought a load of his friends and some people from the industry out. And they all sort of spent a few weeks just literally playing this one to death and just 
concentrating solely on designing this game and we did talk about Osprey as well Ronan and the design sort of standards that they bring to the table and I likened it myself to almost like Treefog. Treefog yeah they might have had their problems but their, their product was always of a standard always had those nice wooden components the artwork was always on point and you could tell it was a Treefog product. I think to a certain degree Osprey do the same and it's definitely an Osprey product and their design standards are very high so I think that's a nice match for, for Martin and Osprey so that's Wildlands from Martin Wallace and Osprey Games lovely thank you very much Sean and what a treat to be able to talk to Mr Wallace himself you lucky boy Okay, the next game we've got is Picoco, designed by Adam Porter, published by Brain Games. This is a trick-taking game, but it very much has got a twist to it. You're not just attempting to take tricks, you're actually attempting to score for bids you make for each of the players in the game on how many tricks they're going to take each round out of the eight available. Now, the reason that it's different is that you can see all the cards in play apart from your own. Each player gets a hand of eight cards and puts them with the backs to them inside a peacock and the backs of the cards look like peacock feathers and it looks like four, five, three, whatever peacocks sitting around the table displaying their cards proudly. The way each round goes is that once you've seen everyone's cards apart from your own, you're going to bid with bidding tokens and you choose one player at a time, starting with the start player and all the other players bid simultaneously from closed fist, open out and say that's me, I've bid on you and so on and so forth around the table. Then everyone gets a chance to bid on themselves with only the knowledge of what cards they can see and how many people have bid on them. Once all that bidding's done, each player plays a confidence card in which they say, I am sure that my bid on this particular player is correct. It could be themselves. And if that is going to score them three points if they're correct, but lose them a point if they're incorrect, or you can play safe and just play sort of a default confidence card, which is one point no matter what. The playing of the cards is a very standard trick taker. Only you play the cards from the player on your left, not your own ones. There's a trump out of the five colours for each round. There is a lead card. So the first card that gets played is lead. You must follow if you can. And that colour will only get trumped by trump, naturally. And a few of the cards come in multicolour in that they've got three colours on them. So there's no individual seven white, for example. There's a red, white, yellow seven that's shared across. And while that card could be a trump, you can be forced to play it as a different colour, which adds a little bit of thinking to it. At the end of each of the three rounds, for all the bids that you've got exactly correct on the other players and yourself, you score two points. If you're just within one with your bid, you score one point, and you score those points for your confidence cards, be it plus three, plus one, or minus one. After three rounds, you're going to add up the points and see who has scored the most points in Picocle. So, this one looks absolutely amazing on the table. Crazy good, Sean. Crazy good. The fact that it's got the peacocks, they're these plastic sturdy pieces, that the cards look lovely, especially from behind. You're looking at yourself at your peacock. It's almost a shame to pluck them out feather by feather. I will say one thing, though. That peacock holder itself is fantastic. It's very functional, holds everything perfectly, not falling down or anything. But it is made out of hard plastic. And after just a couple of plays, I think I need to sleeve the cards. And it's no fault of the cards, but the fact is you're putting them in and out of this hard plastic all the time. They are slightly going at the bottom already. I didn't play this one, Ronan. You took this one off on your merry way when you went back to London. And I was looking at the interaction between yourself and the designer across Twitter. And the designer was saying he was very proud that Although the actions are very simple, they're slightly off kilter and they kind of just throw you off. Did you get that feel? 
I felt that there's a lot more strategy in there than usual trick-taking games because you've got so much more information than you usually have that you can very much guide how things go. And every card played, you know, kind of influences what's left. And you can see, especially when you're leading, you can see if I play that card, it's going to drain that card and that card out of that player's hand because they have to play them. They're forced to by the lead. And you don't know what you've got, which can always put the twists in. But it, it felt... And now, I'm not very good at trick takers, so they don't feel that strategic to me. I can only follow the basics. It felt more strategic in that, or tactical, whatever you want to call it, in that I could kind of manage the cards around the table slightly better. So that was going to be my next point to you, Ronan. We've we've never been one for actually understanding trick takers, but in the trick taker family, does this one stand out as being a little bit more obvious to you? Oh man, I'm well unqualified for that question. <laughs> I don't know enough about trick taking. I, I never find them that interesting, to be honest with you. You know, it's but here's here's what I will tell you. In order to teach the kids this game. They were really unfamiliar with trick takers. So I kind of did it down a three-step process whereby we just use the cards to play a standard trick taker to start with. Then we played a trick taker with bidding where you were bidding on how many you thought you were going to win just yourself to introduce that concept. And then I moved up for the third process to actually playing the game itself and then bidding on each other and working out from there. And at every step, it was opening up their minds to be like, oh, I understand that. Oh, I understand this. Oh, I see that. How that's relevant to the entire overall scene of Prococo to me is that if you're a trick-taker player and you've played a lot of them and you're, you're used to you know, the real difficult ones with lots of things that come in and special powers and this two changes that to a this and that suit and all the rest of it, seeing all those cards, will this make this a little bit scripted for you would be my question. And you're probably, I'm just guessing, not that interested in the physical appeal. Going back to people, kids and that, with the physical appeals could really appeal to them. It's going to be hard to teach them the strategic bit, the bidding, the playing each other's. So it's not going to work for young kids. So this does feel like, Sean, to me, a trick taker for people like you and me that don't play a lot of trick takers but know how to play them and therefore will get how to play it with the bidding and what have you and how to play cards to manipulate what's around the table and try and get the players to hit the bids that you've made. Okay, well, you've sold me, Ronan. Well, that was a good job done, wasn't it? Nice, nice, yeah. Looking forward to giving it a go. Yeah, I liked it a lot. The fact that it looked so good was, was good for me. Eleanor, who I don't think has ever played a trick taker in her life, really enjoyed it, really got into it and won. Caitlin, again, not so much of a gamer. She knew fully what was going on, but probably didn't have as much control in terms of, oh, I know to play that too, to rinse out those reds so that next time round I'm going to, this person will win a trick. So she maybe wasn't quite catching up with it. So it definitely sits in a niche, not too much of a trick taker, not too young, but I think definitely Pococo is worth a go. It was a very enjoyable game. And again, another one that's been asked for again. Okay, so my penultimate game of the episode is another real-time game, Ronan. Dun, dun, dun. It, it was a bit of a theme of this weekend. That we <laughs> it, real -time was, game. it was. Okay, this is Nimble from Peter Jorgensen and Pegasus Spiel playing two to four players. Quite simply, you have cards that have a background frame of a certain colour. The frame is surrounding a circle of a different colour. Now, you are either going to play your cards to a discard pile or you're going to play your card where the frame color matches one of the circles on the three card piles on the table. You're gonna keep doing this as quickly as you can until 
everyone has placed their cards or can't place anymore and then you're going to check for errors the quickest with no errors wins the game so it is a real-time Ronin I will say straight from the off I did not enjoy my first game of this but it grew on you it absolutely grew on me absolutely yes Go on, go into that, Sean. T- t- tell me the journey of Sean through Nimble. The journey of Sean. So, so I don't like these quick, sort of frantic, pressured, real-time games. And as I said, I really hated it in the first go because you, you go into it and you're just like, what the hell's going on? Very hard, as we found, to go very quickly and match a frame to a circle. Your head keeps diverting back. You're matching frame to frame or circle to circle. And your head wants to match those two colours in where they're situated on the cards. So you have to kind of almost every now and again just stop and go, right, okay. And you are thinking, and it isn't a case of the, the person who just flies their cards down, as we found, is going to win every time. It's almost like the tortoise and the hare sometimes in this game. You're just talking about me, aren't you, and how many mistakes <laughs> I've made. <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever made that many mistakes. Did you get any right? <laughs> I, just, I, just, I panicked a little bit. It got a bit snotty and a bit teary. <laughs> I sw- there was one run where I had four cards in a row in the same pile, all wrong. And if you'd asked me, I'd have bet my house that I'd put those down correctly. I don't know what happened to my brain. I've played it subsequent to playing with you guys. Every game, people have made mistakes. And you think, how hard can this be? And they're not rushing, going crazy, playing willy-nilly. You can see them thinking, putting the card down, take your hand off. And you, obviously, because I was teaching it a couple of times, I was looking at them going, you know you've placed that wrong. No, I haven't. Yeah, you have. Look. How did I, what? I, I put a, a beige on a purple. I, what was I doing? I, I don't know what you were doing. It's your mind it going back. back. It's your mind wants you to place frame to frame and circle to circle. And you have to constantly be thinking, no. Frame to circle, frame uh, to circle. I've said it, it's like a combative puzzle. When I'm playing it, I definitely feel like I'm solving a puzzle that's ongoing and is quick. Almost like a video game feel to it, or an app feel. where Because you, you just pace to it, but you're making a decision, and you're trying to react quickly to it. But other people mess with you, and, and just a simple them playing a card could trigger someone else playing two or three cards, another card, and suddenly you're like, oh, I'm, oh no, oh. And then the part of trying to remember what's in your discard pile, so you can work back through it. And then, of course, you know what's on top of your deck, so you can work back through that. And there's enough thinking going on and, and trying to be quick, but trying to be accurate. I really enjoyed it. And the frustration I felt in it was self-frustration, Sean. I was never getting annoyed at the game. I was getting annoyed with myself. <laughs> we played obviously Natalie was playing with us when we first played it and she was actually very good at it but you've got to stay on it it's not a very long time frame like three or four minutes but you've got to stay on it because if you let your mind slip just once it costs you the game as, as we found with Natalie she was banging down those cards 100 miles an hour and 99% of them were right but there's just that one with like well, you've lost the game because Oh, Muggins here was just, oh, that one looks right. Okay. Four hours after everyone else finished, <laughs> Nick in, in waddles the tortoise and wins the game. Ice cool focus, Sean. Or just go really slowly and don't make any mistakes. Uh, equally valid. Equally valid. Uh, I did the pit stop for this. It's about, I think, 65 or 67 seconds long. And I thought as I was filming it, because it's very unassuming, it doesn't, it's not massively attractive of a game, it's only 60-something seconds long for the entire overview. I was like, people are going to underestimate this game and dismiss it. 
I think we'd have dismissed it if Peter Pegasus hasn't been so kind as to give us a copy. We almost dismissed it anyway. It went, oh, come on, let's give it a go. A surprise hit. It's a, it's definitely a surprise hit for me because I don't like real times and I, I quite like this one. And also, if you actually start paying closer attention to the art, which I never did at first, I just saw the, the vague box in the periphery, but it's all about like one deck of cards is based on Around the World in 80 Days, another deck is based on Pinocchio and literary classics. So there's actually some really nice artwork in the actual pattern of the cards. So funny little game that has hidden depths all around, Ronan. So yeah, that was Nimble from Pegasus Spiel. Lovely. And for the second last game, penultimate, if you will, of this episode, I'm going off UKGE, Sean, but that's all right, because we've been talking about games that come out in the last 12 months, really. And I just wanted to throw this in, because I played it over the weekend, just after we got back from UKGE, and it kind of fit in this theme of quicker, shorter games, this one's a co-op. It's Fast Forward Flea from Friedman Fries to a Spieler and Stronghold Games. It's for one to four players, 90 minutes along to do a full whack through of it. You can definitely play it shorter than that and you will initially because you will fail. Okay, so these Fast Forward Games, the idea is it's just a deck of cards in a very small box. You open them up, there's no rule book and you learn the rules as you go. And this is the second one that I've played of these having covered Fear previously with Eleanor. In this game, no matter how many players are playing of the one to four, you've got four characters, Lewis Carroll, the Mad Hatter, Alice and Tweedledum. One of them is going to start with a monster. They are going to be the fourth player in turn order. If ever you start your turn and you have the monster card, then the whole team has lost the game. And there is no way ever of getting rid of the monster card out of the game. It's always going to be with one of the four characters in the game. On your turn, you play a card, and you're going to start with just one card in front of you. You do whatever it says, you put it in the discard pile, and then you draw another card in front of you and play moves on. The way this works, obviously, is that you're always trying to prevent it from being the player with the monster's turn, because as soon as it starts their turn with the monster, you've all lost the game. It's a group puzzle. And you're going to be using these cards in order to do things like change the turn order, to bounce it around from the player who's got the monster, to skip their turn, to swap cards around. Things like permanent powers start to come into play so that each player now suddenly maybe have two cards in play or different things. And I don't want to give too many spoilers away talking about this because obviously you want to work through the deck yourselves. But I have to give some. There's stuff like slow cards where you play them once, they turn around. The second time you play them, they actually come into effect and give you something good. There are bonus cards which you can use at any point to do the same things like skip turns move around keep the monster from being the next and the next players go you can purchase cards with gold that you can build up and all the way through as a group you are managing your discard pile the deck of cards and the player cards that are out in order to avoid this monster now there are three chapters in the game as you work through and they kind of escalate the first one is kind of a tutorial there's lots of basic cards in there when you get to the second chapter things become a bit wilder more different power cards come in and the monster certainly starts to get a lot harder to manage and then in the third chapter you then really are looking to to deal with the monster itself and get to a resolution of the game but it does get very very tough once you've gone through once you don't reset because the cards come in a set stack what you do is a permanent card stay in play and the monster obviously always stays in play but you put all the cards that are in play back on top of the deck then you shuffle the whole discard pile and put it back on top of the deck so it's going to be a slightly different puzzle because the cards are coming out in different orders the next time you play through and I can't imagine anyone has ever completed this in the first playthrough because it, it is challenging Sean fast forward flee 
We're running it kind of through this one from left field at me, but uh, yeah, it's it's freedom free. Some patchy relationship with freedom free games. Sometimes love them. He, he's sometimes. no habber though. You're not gonna have a go. At he's him. no habber. No, sometimes <laughs> love them. Sometimes not so much so. But the buzz of this one is certainly one of his better recent games, and I do like the way you described it. We all kind of working together, and there seems to be a lot in that deck of cards, Ronan. There are lots of different effects. It's amazing that you'd think well how much can we do here surely there's just swap a card skip turn move around every single card almost that comes out is different and works in different ways and very slight subtle tweaks of the powers totally affects the table state and it's all about it's a bit solomon kane-ish it's all about the, the table state not necessarily what you're doing individually on your turn and always having to set up a player on every cycle round that does something to prevent that monster coming up and it not necessarily has to be you but you have to be doing some way to help that out or to set something up later on or to keep going and you're constantly trying to dive through these this deck of cards it's much less confusing to me than fear when we started playing fear we literally had no idea what we were doing we didn't know what the end game was some of the rules were a bit ambiguous so we were kind of left a bit oh i'm a bit puzzled here i am puzzled by flea but i'm only puzzled in how we're ever gonna win it because the rules are quite clear the cards are quite clear every card makes sense and again it's much more about how you are talking to each other and what you're doing than, than struggling with the rules which i think is what fast forward's all about it's really hit the essence of what i hoped for in this series of games cool so would you say you're a fast forward flea fearsome fan I would not go that far. I would say that I've played it three times. We haven't got through chapter two yet. Very interesting, very different. And I think those words come up in Friedman Freese's recent designs that he's going for interesting stuff and different stuff and exploring game spaces. In this one, it also happens to have fun in there. Another F that sometimes is missing from his designs. So it is a recommendation from me as long as you want to get to crypts with a very difficult puzzle in which you're just part of a larger mechanism. So there you go. Fast forward flee. Fabulous. Right, the last game from our UKGE shenanigans is Witless Wizards from Chris Marling and Draw Lab playing two to four players. We managed to get together with the guys from Draw Lab and play a, a quick game of this behind their banner <laughs> up against the wall. So, we talked about Witless Wizards in the previous episode, and very quickly, you're going to—you're a bunch of wizards, and you're all competing to be the best wizard. You're going to select a card and decide whether to keep it and put it onto your tableau, whether it be on your attack or your defense or your special powers, or give it to your opponent. If you give it to your opponent, then you're going to get the next card. If you keep it, then you must give your opponent the next card. So there's a little bit of take that going on. The next thing you do is you're going to attack somebody to your left or your right and then rinse and repeat for everybody else. Very quick and light game, Ronan. It was. Now, we're going into it. We said that I played a prototype copy of it, so we wanted to see. So what do we want to see from a development for prototype? Components. Graphical design, is it all work? Given that you need to know which other's powers do all the time, it has to be absolutely clear. And because it's such a quick game, every time you read a card, you have to know exactly what it does. Sean, it did those things for me. 
Oh, absolutely. We flew through that game, and I think we were having fun while we were flying through it, Ronan. There's nothing massively taxing. A little bit of take there, a little bit of comedy. The cards are all designed in a very comedic way. I think there's like various plays on wizards' names, like Merlin was Merlin. I was Green Dalf or something like that. But it worked on the level it's supposed to, I think. It had the right balance between attack and defence. You don't want the defence powers to be too powerful because then you're sitting around doing nothing and the, and the game could stodge up. Very much attack was on top. Every time people were getting hit and it was fast-paced and you had to concentrate on different people at different times. And also, certain cards negated certain other cards. So you felt like there was always a counter to something that was going on. For example, Evangelist had a real good defence, which meant there was no point you attacking him, so you had to attack me. So I needed to do something about that. So, okay, I didn't draw an armour, so I couldn't get rid of his armour, but my, I drew an attack card that reduced his defence to a maximum of four, whatever it was, rather than the seven it was. So allow me to attack him to, again, make him a viable target and make sure that he wasn't getting too far ahead of me. And all the cards seemed to work off each other, and he never felt like, oh, that's an amazing combo we could do nothing about. Yeah, and he never had that combo, even if you did have an amazing combo, because you, you inevitably somebody would give you a card that would completely just take away that amazing bit of armor, and you never had that armor for long. You never had that that sword or that axe for long, so it was completely changing all the time. And in a very short short time frame, I thought he did the job very well. Yeah, and the other thing is statistically, if your card was worse, you'd get more concentration cubes for having it. And by having concentration cubes, you, you were able to draw two cards and choose from one as your second draw. So if you were slightly weaker, you'd have that more of a choice of cards, which is a nice way of balancing up. It all felt balanced, it all felt fun, it all moved along. All the components were lovely. Another good, shorter game, Witless Wizards. But Sean, the best story about come out about Chris Marlin this weekend was not to do with this game. Go on, Ronan, enlighten us. <laughs> Nothing related to UKGE. We just like taking the mick out of Chris. You know the Dice Tower do their best of the month video, uh, and Z presents it, and they did one for May. I don't know if you've seen it or not. I haven't, no. So Z Garcia, my new best friend, he chose Pioneer Days as his favourite game of May, which is another game designed by Chris and Matthew, and we've played it, and it is really good fun, in fairness. It's a dice roll, a Western-themed one. But he holds it up, and he's clearly got the box there, both their names on there, and he said, I like it, and I like this and like that. And, and Matthew Dunstan, I really like his designs, and moved on. Ah, <laughs> ah! <laughs> oh, oh, I had to replay it. I had a little chuckle and a cry to myself. He obviously knew who the power, <laughs> power behind the design of that was. <laughs> Marlin, though. What? <laughs> Yeah, let's, let's not talk about him. Anyway, Witless Wizards was a lot of fun to play, Sean. Very good. Okay, so we will see you out in the outro, and I think we're going to have a little top three from all the games we've discussed, Ronan. We certainly are, to give you some idea of what you might want to look for from UKG this year. Sean, four t- 14 games and other mentions in there. Uh, probably more than 20 games gone over from UK Games Expo. What what a cornucopia of fun. Cornucopia, nice word, nice word. Yeah, we, we managed to squeeze them in in under 17 hours, which is better than we usually do. Do you remember we were going to be snappy? <laughs> yeah, that never quite materialises. 
let's not worry about that. Let's just move on. We, we've promised these good folks for their patience and forbearance a top three of... And, and again, these are just brief recommendations. We haven't played any of these games to death. But Sean, I'm sure you've got a, a dazzling number three for us. Dazzling number three because of speaking to one of my designing heroes, Martin Wallace. It's Wildlands. No, I haven't played the game. But I'm very excited about it. And Martin has sold it to me. And he, he assures me it's good. So he wouldn't lie to me, right? What what, what benefit has he got from exactly, telling you it's a exactly. good game? Impartial. Completely neutral, of course. Wow, that <laughs> excited. I can feel the fanboy sweating from here. <laughs> did, you, did you touch him? No, it was over quite a long table. I think I think they'd put that table in specially for me. They saw how long my arms were. <laughs> a barrier. <laughs> <laughs> my number three, despite your naysaying, I had a lot of fun playing Jetpack Joyride. I think they've done a fantastic job with the IP. I think they've captured the flavour of the app. I think that you're doing really more than enough thinking for the fact it's a real-time game and the f- speed at which you need to play and that Good play is going to beat quick play every time. I'm very much looking forward to the upcoming Jetpack Joyride. I've got my sceptical face on. I, I will joyride that off. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I'm going to do it. There you go. Okay, so my number two is a game maybe you didn't play the most of, but definitely got a taster of it. It's Escape Tales The Awakening. Really, really enjoyed the taster session that we did have with Board and Dice and really looking forward to seeing the finished product. So I didn't put it in my top three only because I didn't get a full play of it in and I've got full plays in of these three, so it felt a little bit unfair. But I very much enjoyed the taster. And for potential, yes, I'm very excited by Escape Tales. So I am fully throbbing in anticipation for its release. Do you want to change that word? No. (laughs) Please don't leave throbbing in. I'm happy with throbbing. (laughs) Okay. My number two, I have got a funny feeling, is probably your number one. So I'm going to let you say your number one and then I'll edit it if I'm wrong. Okay, good man, good man. Editing is the friend of a bad podcaster. So <laughs> we know. <laughs> we know all about that. So mine is my biggest surprise of the show and my the game I've most enjoyed is dice fishing. We all bought our copy, played it so many times since then, still enjoying it. Very simple but very good. Yeah, that was my number two. I I was pretty sure on that. A surprise hit, like I say unconvinced at first explanation one play in and and we were we were down with it and i think you're actually going to see it from a very small printer i think you're going to see it spread more and more because everyone that seems to play it seems to to big it up as just as a filler it's not going to change the world but but really lovely filler so sure my number one is i think the game you probably most want to get played and it's raids the yeah, game from yeah. yeah matt and brett and yellow I wasn't 100% sure beforehand. I did think it was going to be a treasure. I still think that you need to check out the combativeness of it. I think it's it's perfectly acceptable level. It is punishing to yourself to go for it, but sometimes it's worth it. Getting in the bidding war just feels so, so punishing. What I did like is that actually, usually you're cruising around with not that many Vikings, and if someone has got one or zero, you can actually go, oh, I can take that off them. 
is it worth it to me to be mean to them uh, and that is a real judgment call and again it's always going to cost you something to do that which i like i like the fact that you can't just wander around behind and hoover up all the resources of tiles that people left behind there's a lot of clever design choices in there it's beautifully presented and it, it offers the satisfaction of a decent game in 40 to 45 minutes very good okay so i hope that that has given you guys some indication as to maybe what to go out and give it give a try to and moving forward ronan we've got some more episodes up our sleeve yes 100 episode 100 is still exist it's still there it's a lie dan Dan Hughes, it, it, it does exist. I promise you. You can leave us alone on Twitter now. I, I promise you, it's there. Uh, we made a. Couple I'm of beginning to doubt that I even recorded it, Sean. It's going to seem like a, a bit Rosemary's Baby going on over here. But did that really happen? Have did I recorded it, did it? So we made a decision because of the UKGE, and we had to get these episodes out quickly. We bumped it again, but it is ready. It's good to go. <laughs> it will be the next one in line after this one I promise there'll probably have to be some sort of future Sean in, in the, coming in before the episode just to explain some of the things we talk about but cool it's all good I think it's a decent episode ish I don't want to listen yeah 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 we know, we know your thoughts you're wrong Okay, and talking about being behind the times, hot on the heels of that, although actually I, I quite like the time frame we've left, we're going to do our review of 2017. Now that we've managed to play most of the releases, of course no one's played them all, crazy to try, but most of the releases that we want to play, we're going to be giving you our best of the year, our best new to us, our best expansion, all the categories we usually do, we're going to do in a summary episode. That should be coming as episode 112. Who knows? It may, it may not. And then, Sean, we might get back to doing some long-form reviews. We've got a vault episode in the works. Who knows? Who knows what else might happen? Indeed, indeed. Okay, shall we let these good people go, Ronan? We should. Thank you very much, Sean. Thank you very much, Ronan. And thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Oh, and for pit stops off a lot of these games, please do head over to YouTube because I've covered them over there. And, and you know, it'll be nice to see your views. Okay, as always, we are very proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go there and to the Dice Tower itself, gaming goodness galore. If you wish to download the podcast, we are on Stitcher, iTunes and Podbean itself. We have social media accounts. We have a Twitter account, at Podcast. We have a Facebook page and an Instagram page. If you wish to contact us, our email is thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com. And another great way to come and interact with us is on our Board Game Geek Guild. We have our YouTube channel, where, as Ronan said, we have pit stop videos of some of these games featured in today's episode and many, many more. Thank you very much for listening. Music by E. Aaron. Boy, boy.